welcome back for this week's episode of Remarkable Parks Podcast. Thank you all so much for being flexible and understanding that we could not have an episode out last week because we were in massive rolling blackouts and we had a big snowstorm and ice storm and there was no water for a little bit, but... Lo and behold, today it is 68 degrees, sunny, not a cloud in sight, so we are having a podcast episode. It was rough goings there for a while. I know I've got listeners that live in many different parts of the country um, and world, but down here in Oklahoma City and the surrounding southern states like Texas and Louisiana... The buildings are really just not built for a climate like we had. It felt like, I think, negative 28 degrees one day, and the insulation in the walls are not built to maintain heat when weather outside is like that. I had my heater in my building going constantly, so I am not looking forward to what my electricity bill is going to be this month. At the zoo, we actually had to tape the building so all the doors, all those cracks, we had tape on them. We had space heaters to help maintain a constant temperature to keep the animals safe. And it was just overall miserable. I was without water for two days, uh, and I didn't have it bad compared to so many people. So my heart goes out to the people who still do not have water, or are still recovering from the effects of being in a boil advisory, it's tough. And uh, it, it, was, it was rough goings there for a little bit. Um, I think I had one story of triumph. You know, you have to really come together in times when everyone is in peril and support your neighbors and support um, the wildlife too. Normally I am of the opinion that You should let natural things be natural and you shouldn't intervene. But this type of extreme cold temperatures are just so unnatural. Uh, I've had to break my rule. There was a raccoon, a raccoon living near the apartment complex. And the poor little thing was just shivering and he was so cold and I just had to help him. And so I got a cardboard box and I lined it with bath towels (laughs) And I brought it outside to give him a structure to ride out the cold weather in. And I really felt like I was a lone savior in this moment for this raccoon. And as I finish building this very meticulous structure for Mr. Kinsey, I pass another resident, this woman, who has a bowl of like steaming hot chicken she's bringing out. And she's like... I made this for the raccoon. I hope it helps him stay warm. (laughs) So even if this raccoon did not make it, uh, he had a killer last meal. And wow, no pun intended. That got dark. (laughs) But he really did. He had a warm place. He had a nice last meal. Uh, So that was the story of the raccoon. But really, things are looking up. Uh, It's really nice out now, and hopefully the worst is behind us, and we can move on to spring now. In the spirit of it having been really cold, I found myself meditating to nicer, 
warmer days. And for that reason, our park this week is going to be Bryce Canyon National Park in Utah. This was a park I relatively recently traveled to. It would have been this past summer in 2020. And I have to say, up until I went there, I had never even heard of Bryce Canyon, which is more to say about me than (laughs) the actual park. But it's now one of my absolute favorite parks I have ever been to. It is such a unique place. Um, And it is home to some pretty unique structures called hoodoos, um, which are irregular columns of rock that are found on every continent. But right here at Bryce Canyon National Park, that is the largest concentration of hoodoos found in the entire world. So it's pretty cool. Um, And it it just, they're so unique. They're beautiful. And we'll talk a little bit about the geology behind those. Um, But as always, we're going to start with a little bit of park history. So there's really one gentleman who they they credit the the primary responsibility for Bryce Canyon becoming a national park, and that is Mr. J.W. Humphrey. He worked within the park system. He was a U.S. Forest Service supervisor uh, and an employee of the parks. And when he came to what is now known as Sunset Point, he was absolutely awestruck by the beauty of what is now Bryce Canyon. And I'm going to read a quote that he said because I really liked it. He said, You can perhaps imagine my surprise at the indescribable beauty that greeted us. And it was sundown before I could be dragged away from the canyon view. You may be sure that I went back the next morning to see the canyon once more and to plan in my mind how this attraction could be made accessible to the public. And I love that because you can tell that his priority is sharing this beauty with the world. And that to me is one of the main purposes of national parks. Absolutely conservation is a huge focus, but it's also making it accessible and sharing it and letting it be a place where many people can come and connect and appreciate the awe and beauty. Uh, So thank you, Mr. J.W. Humphrey, for seeing that, having that moment with that park and then doing something with it and making it into um, a national park. Uh, It started as a national monument uh, in 1923. It was declared as a national monument by President Warren G. Harding. And I have a confession to make. I did not even know that Warren G. Harding was a president of the United States. When I originally was doing my research and I saw President Warren G. Harding, I said to myself, President of what? Um, No, he was a U.S. president, so I am so sorry to all of my history teachers out there. I failed you. I did not know he was a U.S. president. But Warren G. Harding, 1923, he declared it a national monument. And then very quickly, just a few years later, February 25th, 1928, Bryce Canyon officially became a national park. So it's been with us for a while. You might be familiar with um, some other parks uh, that also became national parks around the same time, like Zion National Park um, and Arches National Park, which we've talked about. So it's kind of clustered with those. 
But I, for, again, for me, Bryce Canyon was so much less well-known. And maybe it's maybe for other people, everyone's always known about it, but I sure had never heard of it. Uh, and then the Civilian Conservation Corps during the 1930s, they kind of stepped in and made many improvements to Bryce Canyon National Park, helping create trails and um, boundary fences, parking areas, and even uh, a museum overlook, which is now at the Rainbow Point. They also helped with erosion control as well, which erosion is one of the main ways that those hoodoos were formed. And it's kind of bittersweet because the hoodoos were formed kind of in a three-step process. One, deposition of rocks, two, uplift of the land, and three, weathering and erosion. And what's bittersweet is what created them, that weathering and erosion will ultimately be what destroys them as well. But the hoodoos of Bryce Canyon come from what was called Lake Claron, which existed around 50 million years ago, a stupid long amount of time ago. And that is the source of what today is that stunning, colorful, orange-red rock formations infamous in Bryce Canyon. But what happened is that floodplain system, that deposition of rocks um, fr from that lake, it, again, I'm not super familiar with geology, so bear with me, uh, but there was a bunch of different particles that were deposited, limestone, mudstone, siltstone, sandstone, um, and it, they slowly built up upon each other and through different tectonic plates moving and creating different puzzle pieces in that area. Eventually, uh, we, we saw those um, what, what's called Goldilocks zones um, create a perfect elevation to create what is, what is these hoodoos. And then through many hundreds and thousands and millions of years of erosion, nature at work. <laughs> that's, that's what eventually created um, the, the, what they look like pillars. If you don't know what a hoodoo is, it's kind of like natural rock pillars um, created through ice and rain um, and water. So it's kind of interesting. They, they don't look real. <laughs> they just look like they are random pillars in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a desert, and they're incredible. Um, one of the really cool things that Bryce Canyon, one of their conservation missions, are to help protect the hoodoos. Um, unfortunately, hoodoos just don't last very long. They are intent on destruction. With the erosion in the area, it's calculated to be two to four feet every 100 years. So eventually Bryce Canyon, as we know it, it will not always be there the canyons will eventually erode away and those hoodoos will disappear. Uh, so, well, we can't stop it. It's inevitable. We can still help protect the park by staying on the park trail system. If you avoid walking on the base of the hoodoos, you can help maintain the integrity and the foundation of them. So we've talked about this before, but stay on those trails. They're there for a reason. They're helping protect the natural geological structures um, and the wildlife uh, around them. So stay on those established chairs to ensure that the erosion, um, it, you know, it doesn't happen faster than it needs to and that people can still enjoy those sites. So that's a little bit about the hoodoos. 
Another thing that Bryce Canyon does really well and the National Park System does really well is making the parks available to people through many different platforms. So if you don't have the opportunity to go out and to drive to Utah and to see Bryce Canyon in person, there's many other ways that you can explore the park as well. Head over to the National Park Service, nps.gov, their website, and there are um, different virtual tours that you can do. You can do virtual visits. Um, They also use Facebook Live a lot to connect with the rangers. Um, Head over to Google Earth. Go to the Google Arts and Culture page. Follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So in our age of technology, it is a great way to still support your parks and to be connected to the parks as well. Uh, So I just wanted to mention that virtual experiences are an option too if you are not um, capable of traveling right now or not comfortable with traveling right now with the pandemic. Obviously, traveling is not necessarily the best option. So there's still different ways you can explore those parks from afar. Wow, that was another tangent. That's okay. (laughs) Uh, It really is such a cool park though. Excuse me. One of the other really cool things in this area um, are hiking opportunities. That's almost always my favorite thing about parks is the hiking opportunities. Um, And there are several day hiking trails and lots of them are interconnected. There's also a pretty high elevation change in the park. So just be mindful, kind of like with arches, it can get really, really, really hot here in the summer. So make sure you bring lots of water and you hydrate beforehand um, and bring snacks with you too. But probably the most infamous trail that I enjoyed was probably the Rim Trail. Uh, It's a place where you can view the hoodoos from above. It's a great photo opportunity and a great place to enjoy the park as a whole. But you walk the rim of Bryce Canyon, um, what is known as the the Bryce Amphitheater. And it's only, um, there's lots of different distances that you can do. I mean, it's basically up to 11 miles of, of hiking if you want to. I certainly didn't hike that far. But it is a paved trail between the sunrise and sunset points. So it's a really great way to appreciate the park as a whole. If you want to hike through the the spruce and fir forests, you can check out um, Rainbow Point. And I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this one, Yovimpa Point. (laughs) That's an interesting place you can check out as as well. Um, It's the Bristlecone Loop. So that one is just about a mile. It takes about an hour to hike it, but that lets you actually get down um, into, into the park. You'll see when you go, it's kind of like a, a big bowl almost. You've got a huge cutout, and inside the cutout are all of these different hoodoos, um, but it just looks like a huge hole in the ground. Um, so it's, it's up to you if you want to stay on the outside rim or actually go into uh, and explore that canyon. Um, Another trail that I would recommend is the Mossy Cave. Um, You can kind of go up to a mossy grotto that in the winter has incredible, beautiful, spectacular icicles. Um, And then in the summer, you guessed it, has moss. So those are some easier hikes. If you're looking for more moderate to strenuous hikes, check out the Navajo Loop and Queen's Garden. Um, You can see 
things like uh, Thor's hammer, two bridges, um, as well as um, Queen Victoria. These are different names of the different uh, <laughs> hoodoos that you can see at different sites. Um, and then the tower bridge is really cool as well. If you're looking for a super intense hike, um, you can check out the hat shop, which is when you descend under the, to the under the rim trail to see um, right up close standing next to them, those hoodoos. Um, and then the Fairyland Loop is really cool too. That's where you can see the hoodoos on a less crowded trail. Now that is an eight mile loop and that will take four to five hours. So I would, I don't know, personal opinion, I'd say the Fairyland Loop is probably the most intense hiking opportunity. Um, and then, <coughs> oh no, <coughs> I'm okay, I promise. <coughs> I swallowed wrong. <coughs> I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it. Okay. Uh, and if you want to do some backcountry hiking and backcountry camping, make sure you get your permit, obviously. Uh, but there are lots of opportunities at Bryce Canyon to do that as well. If hiking is not your thing, something that Bryce Canyon uh, does that's super cool is they do lots of horseback riding, uh, which is a super cool way to explore Bryce Canyon. And people have been doing it before it was set aside for federal protection. But there is a four and a half mile loop of horse trails that began in 1931 that are still used today. So if you have your own horse or mule, either one, donkey, whatever four-legged creature you choose, uh, you can use your privately owned animal in certain areas at specific times. Just check on the website beforehand. Um, note, llamas and goats are prohibited, so you can't bring your llama or goat. Um, but the, the one that appealed to me is there are guided trail rides, which I didn't get the chance to do, but there are um, two and three hour guided horse and mule rides into the Bryce Amphitheater um, along the horse tra trail and through the Peekaboo Loop Trail as well. And those guided trail rides begin around April and they run through the end of October, depending on weather. So for particular times, again, check on the website. So it's kind of cool. I think I, one of my dreams, this is a different park, is to take um, a donkey or mule, either one, to the bottom of um, the Grand Canyon. I think that would be so cool. There's also really cool camping opportunities in Bryce Canyon as well. There are two campgrounds that are sponsored by the National Park Service, the North Campground and Sunset Campground. The biggest difference is North Campground is first come first serve. So there's no way to make a reservation. You just have to show up. <laughs> and usually in the busy season, in that summer season, you need to show up really early and you have to just kind of be smart and talk to the people that had that campsite the night before to secure your spot. In Sunset Campground, you can actually reserve your uh, your spot ahead of time through recreation.gov. So, you know, whatever works, but those are two options. And then as we discussed, there's also backcountry camping. If camping is not your thing, they have lodging opportunities too. They have um, a really gorgeous Bryce Canyon Lodge, which is also a historic structure, but this lodge and its surrounding motel structures are located just a very short walk from the Bryce Amphitheater. And there are 114 rooms, as well as little cabins. Um, 
make sure you make a reservation because it is a really popular site. But if you are someone who does not enjoy camping or you're hiking with um, people who are not interested in doing that, check out the canyon. They also have a dining room as well that's open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Food's always a priority for me. (laughs) So that's a source of food for you um, as well. And obviously, there's also places to camp outside of the park as well if you can't secure a spot during that busy summer season. If you're camping at the lodge um, near the the Sunrise Point in North Campground, um, there's a general store where you can get kind of different grab-and-go hot and cold foods, uh, which if you've been camping for days and days and days can be amazing and a lifesaver. So check that out. Um, There's also a coffee shop that's located just adjacent to the lodge at Bryce Canyon, which for me was a lifesaver. So lots of great little places to check out in and around the park. One of my personal favorite things about Bryce Canyon are all of the different species of mammals that you can find there. Uh, There are a documented 59 species of mammals at Bryce Canyon, but some of my favorites that I saw um, were the Utah prairie dog. I love prairie dogs. They were actually my animal that I chose my specialty animal in the third grade was the prairie dog so we have a special connection but they're all over that part of the country and through Bryce Canyon and they're so cute so check out the Utah prairie dog um I saw lots and lots of prairie dogs but they also have these are animals I didn't see um mule deers pronghorns and mountain lions in the area as well so lots of different opportunities to see different mammals I'm going to reference again to my earlier raccoon story that I told. Again, you shouldn't feed wildlife. It's not something you should do. Um, And that extends... Again, do as I say, not as I do. I was not the one that brought the full bowl of chicken, though. I just created the structure, so just let the record state. But one of the other things that the park really um, harps on is do not feed the wildlife. It can be really tempting if you have a super cute squirrel or chipmunk or prairie dog approach you to want to feed them some of your lunch. But the National Park Service actually cites feeding wildlife as a form of animal cruelty. And that might sound counterintuitive, but the reason why is because when you feed wildlife, they slowly, through generations... Uh, and through memory, will cite you as a source of food and become more and more comfortable around people. And with rodents, that can be dangerous because they can really pose a threat to humans by transmitting diseases, super deadly diseases like the bubonic plague, for example. That's pretty deadly. Um, And they also carry fleas, which can jump up to 10 feet. So you don't really want rodents near you. But if you feed larger animals, like pronghorns, um, or God forbid, a mountain lion, you are making them more comfortable around people and you are encouraging them to come up and approach people, which is creating a recipe for disaster and potentially uh, creating a situation for human-wildlife conflict where that animal might become aggressive with a person. And that almost always ends with that animal dying um, and having to be killed. So that's why we don't want to feed the wildlife um, I know, it, it, again, it can be tempting because they're cute and they look at you with those big eyes, but 
Uh, feeding animals, it really does do a lot of harm. So just try to appreciate them from afar. You know, if they approach you, just try to ignore them. You know, take, take a picture, but don't reach out and touch them. Don't feed them. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's important. Definitely an important thing to remember. Hmm. I think, I think that was all that I had. Wow. Bryce Canyon. What a place. Definitely check it out. I would highly recommend this national park. I hope everyone is staying warm and safe and making it through the end of February out there. Just buckle down, people. We are so close to spring and happier days. The vaccine is rolling out. COVID hopefully is going to be behind us soon. I know morale, at least for me, was a little low this week. But just have some group love here. We're going to make it through. I hope this podcast has brought a little bit of joy into your week and will maybe help you gather the strength for the final push towards the end here. Uh, But stay safe out there. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, if you are interested, please support us on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Remarkable Parks Podcast. Thank you for your support. And we will see you next week.